Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I think positivity has a time, a place, a purpose. I just think we've become so obsessed with it to a degree that it's starting to hurt us more than help us. Hello, and welcome to the Psychology Podcast. Today, we welcome Whitney Goodman to the show. Whitney is the radically honest psychotherapist behind the hugely popular Instagram account, Sit With Wit. She's the owner of the Collaborative Counseling Center, a private therapy practice in Miami. Whitney has her own column in Psychology Today and has been featured in the New York Times, Teen Vogue, New York Magazine, InStyle, Good Morning America, and other publications. Her most recent book is called Toxic Positivity, Keeping It Real in a World Obsessed with Being Happy. In this episode, I talked to Whitney Goodman about toxic positivity. A happy outlook in life is a strength, but when taken too far, it can backfire and work against us. Positivity stops becoming helpful when we deny the realities of hardship and trauma. Whitney believes positivity is not the panacea to our problems, and that it needs to be applied at the right time and with the right purpose. She shares with us ways on how to be supportive without being dismissive of our own well-being and the well-being of others. We also touch on the topics of authenticity, gratitude, hope, relationships, and work. It was really fun chatting with Whitney, and I really appreciated her authentic style, and we laughed a lot in this episode as well. So without further ado, I now bring you Whitney Goodman. I'm really excited to chat with you today about toxic positivity. Me as well. So uh, I guess no pressure to smile. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Come as you are. Thank Come you. as you are. Yeah, I just want to jump. I just want to dive right in. You know, you're a therapist, and you're also... Is an Instagram superstar. Thank you. <laughs> um, what, how did that come about? How, how did both come about? Why did you go into therapy? And then why did you join uh, Instagram? I, I always wanted to work with people. I was definitely that friend that, you know, was like, oh, I thought I had all the answers to everything. So I ended up becoming a therapist and quickly learning that uh, that was not what therapists do. <laughs> tell people what to do uh, but it's the only job I've ever had and and I love it so I got on Instagram really just to market my private practice um, I did not expect it to become this big 
part of my life. And a lot of people told me I was crazy for trying to market my practice on there. And now it seems to be like where every therapist is these days. Yeah, it's like the battle of the therapist <laughs> who has more likes on Instagram. <laughs> it's bizarre. It really is. I still can't get my blue check no matter what I do. Well, like, like, why? What's up with that? I got my blue check through yeah. like some campaign I did with Nextdoor. They were like, oh, we can get it for you right now. I'm like, what? You have to know a guy, I guess. <laughs> Instagram. Yeah. I, that's the thing is, I don't know. I don't know a guy. I know. And I don't know who the guy is. Other people have asked me. I'm like, yeah. if I knew, I would tell you. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. That'd be like knowing the secret to the right? universe. <laughs> okay, so I loved your new book um, on toxic positivity. As you state, positivity isn't toxic. It becomes toxic. I think that's a, a good starting point here because you're not saying that every attempt to be positive is something that should be uh, considered toxic, right? Absolutely. So it really depends on the timing the audience and the topic, right? What might be positive or fine in certain situations can become toxic when we use it incorrectly. Okay. And you distinguish between helpful positivity and toxic positivity. So maybe that would be, um, that'd be useful to actually like, tell me what is, what falls in one category and what falls in the other category. Give me some examples if possible. Sure. So I think with helpful positivity, we're making space for the good, the bad, and the neutral, right? So we're saying things like, today really sucked, and I think tomorrow is going to be better, or I love this meal that I'm going to have at the end of the day. Toxic positivity is more like everything has to be good. And if we express any negativity or complaints, we're attracting more negativity, or we're somehow a negative or a bad person. And we have to deny that any of that even yeah the denying or the the pretending you know a lot of people i feel like are pretending these days to be happy all the time there's almost like a social pressure even uh when people ask how are you right like if i tell them the truth they don't really want to hear that i 100 <laughs> percent really agree it. i feel like social media plays such a big role in that that we all sort of are like mm. avatars of our own self these days mm. and there's this feeling of like how do i want to perform my existence right and how do i want people to see yeah. me and people feel like they're a burden or they're going to get abandoned if they don't have all these positive feelings well you've showed uh, shown that not to be the case right i mean you you keep it real on your social media and and people really resonate with it i guess maybe you're you're saying things that people wish want to want to be saying yeah themselves. i i try to i think i'm definitely coming from this place of like I'm a therapist, so it's normal for me to talk about these things to some extent that people aren't yeah. as judgmental, but I hope to like model that, yeah, we don't have to talk about everything on social media, but we can show something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it just personally in your own life, did it bother you for many years that there was kind of this pressure to be positive? Like, is, is there something in your personality? Um, what is the individual differences variable here as well? Those who, because the, there's going to be some who are listening to this podcast who, they are toxic positivity incarnate, but they're not going to like this conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're going to be like, oh, I'm oppressed. <laughs> right, I'm right. being oppressed. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? For sure. So, for sure. Yeah. I think for me, I always noticed that there was like this performance aspect, like I was supposed to just act like everything was fine, even when it wasn't. Or when I started working as a therapist, like 
sort of noticing the things people talk about behind closed doors and then mm. what people are showing on social media. I even saw that with my own friends that I'm like, gosh, it's so aggravating that we feel this pressure to show up in a way that we're not. Um, and it's something that I don't like to do. It bothers me to not be at least somewhat authentic. Yeah, yeah. So when did you, uh, did you coin the term toxic positivity? I am very cautious about saying that. I've never seen it used <laughs> anywhere before I said it um, on that Instagram post, but I don't know, it could be floating out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, because I know like also like, yeah, like Susan David uses that term a lot as well. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, she wrote the book, um, Emotional Agility, prior to that, which I know toxic positivity wasn't used there. Yeah, just the concept. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, so okay, so tell me about this Instagram post. Okay, so tell me what year what year was that? Um two thousand uh, tell me read it to me. Yeah. So can you can you read it to me? Like what it said? Yeah. So in two thousand eighteen I put up um this post that was toxic positivity in one column and I listed a lot of phrases like everything happens for a reason, never give up, things like that. And then in the right hand column I put like um I think validation and hope and gave people a list of different things that they could say, like, I'm here for you. If you want to talk about it, that were a little more validating and less just positivity. Do you ever uh, re-up that post every now and then? Yeah, for sure. Recycle that? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. When I made it, it was like the worst graphic. I was my very early days wow. on Instagram. So I've updated it since and I put it out um, when my book was published again. Good. Good. I love that. Yeah. You say my clients who live the most fulfilling lives are those who can experience challenging emotions. Uh, so you find that's a uh, important route to, to growth, even in, in the clinical setting. Absolutely. Or especially, especially in the clinical setting. Yeah. I, I find that my clients that, and I've worked with a lot of people like this that really just want to feel good all the time or only want to feel positive mm -hmm. end up being the ones that struggle the most because when they are confronted with challenges, they don't really know what to do. They they become really bogged down by that experience. You know, there's, you make a lot of really uh, interesting points in this book uh, about positivity. You say positive thinking can give us the illusion of hope and control. Uh, in fact, let me quote you. Can I quote you? Sure. You say the world can be cruel and random. Unfortunately, we can put out tons of positive energy and still struggle. Strive for a life that honors your values and has meaning. Do the best you can and know that not everything bad that comes your way is because you attracted it, right? So um, is it, So this is kind of uh, related to like the law of attraction kind of idea mm -hmm. uh, that goes around, right? Uh, how would you challenge that idea? The law of attraction, the way that I've come to understand it, is essentially that whatever you put out there will come back to you. And so what I've found is that that type of thinking can become so victim blaming for some people and it and it creates this overemphasis on like the just world bias that if you do good things good things will happen to you or but we know that bad things happen to good people every day mm. um and so i think positive thinking the law of attraction it sort of presents this on a silver platter of like if you just follow this good things will always come back to you and we know that to not be true um it's it's false hope to a certain extent yeah so it like you say it can give us the illusion of hope and control yeah yeah um and when it's coincidentally working we can be like it's working it's true but then when it's not true 
when it doesn't work, it's like, uh oh, like how do we explain that? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, you you say it's not like you're saying positivity never works, you're saying it just doesn't always work. Right. That I think there's been an over reliance on it for sure. I get it. I get it. <laughs> so do positive people always succeed? I wanna let's just break down all these myths. Let's go down the line. Yeah. Do positive people always succeed? The research on that really says that no. And that's not even one of, I think we're sold this idea that mindset is the most important part of succeeding in the workplace. And what I found in the research that I did was really that people succeed when they're able to be challenged, when they're able to find um, problems and solve them. Creativity is heightened when there's quote unquote negativity in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And so we really need this you know, healthy dose of like getting knocked down and problem solving to be successful. I've been watching all these shows lately about like WeWork and Theranos, you know, these stories where the leaders are so overly positive that it's like delusional, right? And yeah. I think that's a perfect look into like when positivity goes unchecked and no one is allowed to say like, hey, we have a problem here. Um, that we need to fix without getting accused of like dissent when they do that. Yeah. Well, how can you avoid toxic positivity in the workplace? Like, let's say you do have a boss who's like manically egomaniac, manical, <laughs> egomaniacal, <laughs> manically egomaniacal. Do you like that? Do you like that phrase? Amazing. I just said that for a first time. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what you're describing, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is well, how do you, how in the world do you deal with that? I think that's one of the toughest situations to be in in the workplace, because if you have a leader that is not listening to you, you can really only control what's within your realm of control, right? So how can you present and talk about the things that you're concerned about to the people that have power, present them in a way that is meaningful, and also at some point, maybe even saying like, I don't know if I can work in these types of conditions if it gets to a point where there's too much risk involved in not being heard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's sometimes easier said than done. Absolutely. Um, you know, you can get fired for, for speaking up and all, mm -hmm. but yeah. Okay. So what if you are a maniacal egomaniac and you want to change? Uh, let's say, uh, yeah, you, you want to dial that down a little bit. You want to be more uh, negative. <laughs> you want to be more negative. What can you do? <laughs> I really think it's about being more realistic and open to feedback. So how can you create an environment where uh, people are allowed to voice issues that they have and, and setting aside time to actually have space for that and knowing that somebody having a problem with what's going on or a concern isn't a direct attack on you. It's them trying to help you make something better, trying to invest in what's going on. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting uh, chess move you made there. Uh, when I said negative, you've reframed it as realistic. <laughs> and actually, it makes me want to bring up this question because I, I've um, criticized positive psychology's use of the distinction between positive and negative emotions. Um, and I've argued, well, that's putting, I'm like, that's putting a label on, on these class of emotions. I, you know, you, you have uncomfortable emotions, you have comfortable emotions, you have exhilarating. It's more about what I want to kind of reframe it to how we feel about the emotions as opposed to objective labeling. Um, is that similar to how you think about it as well? Like, what do you think of when I say negative emotions? 
I completely agree with you that I think classifying it in that way doesn't make sense. Um, I think mm. uncomfortable emotions or emotions that cause us discomfort makes more sense just because I know as a clinician, I've seen people be uncomfortable with happiness. I've seen people mm. be uncomfortable with peace or calm that some emotions that we would label maybe quote unquote negative are actually easier for certain people, depending on what they've experienced in life. That's a good point. Um, also, uh, I'm so used to my anxiety in life that like I, I did with an SSRI a, a while ago um, to tr give it a try. And I was like calm for the first time in my life. And that made me very uncomfortable. I didn't like that feeling of being calm. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And that would be something that people might be like, oh, but that's a positive feeling. You know, that should yeah, be yeah, good. Yeah. And that makes you feel no, like I a threw the, I threw the SSRIs <laughs> down the drain. I was like, I want to go back to be feeling alive. Right. I want to feel alive. I want to feel something. <laughs> want that energy coursing through your veins again. Yes. I like my, my nervous energy. <laughs> In, in the right doses. Yeah, you say uh, you have a math equation here, a very complex math equation, well-being greater than positive thinking. Can you explain that math equation for those who are not so math inclined? Yes. I think if we have a more comprehensive view of well-being, like where you live, the people that are around you, what you're eating, um, you know, where you work, all of these pieces that go into who you are. It's mm. a much better way at looking at how we're functioning than just focusing on our thoughts. I think there's this big pressure of like, if you have positive thoughts, you'll have a positive life. And it doesn't mm. capture the whole picture. And it leaves people feeling very much like they're responsible for everything in their life. Yeah. So what do you include under the umbrella of well-being? What are some, can you list some things? Yeah, I would include like, again, where you live who you're in relationships with, where you work, what you're putting into your body, gotcha. you know, socioeconomic status, all of these types of things. Okay, good, good. Um, wonderful. Uh, and then when positivity doesn't help, uh, you have some very interesting categories here. Uh, let's talk about illness and disability. I really want to double click on that. Someone who's a big advocate of uh, neurodiversity, mm -hmm. well, I'm a big advocate of neurodiversity and uh, all the different kind of ways that uh, our minds and bodies can uh, can make a huge positive impact on the world. So how can too much positivity in that domain backfire? Because I see it all the time, but I'd love for you to explain it. Yeah, all the time. This was like the biggest area that I've seen it in in my career. And what we find is that mm. people are often told that they have to have a positive mindset when they are sick with anything. I think people who are living with disabilities, we want them to be inspirational and strong. And, you know, can't, people going through cancer are warriors and they're fighting or they lost the battle. And there's this big emphasis on like, if you're going through this really hard thing, you better do it with a smile and be trying really hard, or I kind of don't want to hear about it. And we see that reflected, I think, throughout history, in the media, et cetera. Yeah, it sucks. It does. Uh, you know, because because sometimes things just suck. Exactly. So that's just it. Sometimes things just suck, and like I want to complain. I want to be around someone who will complain with me, right? And not try to reframe it. That actually frustrates me sometimes. Like there's, I've you know, some people uh, that I talk to, and it's like, uh, I'm like, I I'm like complain about something, and they're like, Well, don't worry, you know, like it's uh, probably for the best, you know. It's like, No, <laughs> I want you to call that person a motherfucker. Exactly. Exactly. That's all I want. That's all I wanted is you to agree with me that that person's a motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I don't know if this if I get any of this is how to be bleeped out what I just said, but you know what I'm saying? No, I you know what I'm saying? Completely. Yeah. Um, romantic relationship struggles. Uh how in that domain, you know, when you have couples and they're like, We're fine. Our relationship <laughs> is fine. Yeah. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. So true. And I think also just putting this pressure on people like when they're single, like, oh, you're gonna find the one. Don't worry. Um, you know, someone will love you. It's like people aren't allowed to be upset about anything. It always has to be turned into a positive. Even when people get divorced, we're trying to put a positive spin on that immediately. And maybe that person's going to get there. But I find in the moment, just like you said, they just want to be like, this sucks. Like it's shitty. Just be with Mm -hmm. me in this moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay. What about in the domain of physical appearance? You know, like, no, you look beautiful. Don't (laughs) worry. You haven't worked out in four years. Yeah, I find that there's this pressure on, um, or I should say this emphasis on talking about how great people look, especially when they're going through something hard. So when we go back to illness, like saying, but you don't even look sick, you look beautiful. And it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, it's kind of a compliment, but it's also very dismissive of what I'm going through or telling someone like, you look great. You don't even look like you gained weight or you lost weight. It's like, we just need, we can compliment people on such more interesting things about them. I think. Yeah, you're you're certainly not saying to be like, damn, you look fat. No. You're not saying, no, 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 no. You're saying just emphasize other aspects yes. of their being. Yes. Without lying, without lying to them. Yes, overemphasis <laughs> on I am not telling people to yeah. say, damn, you look fat. <laughs> I'm being clear. I'm being clear so no one misinterprets. No one, no one misinterprets. Me. Yeah, I got you. I got you, Whitney. Um, and then also, um, after I'm all, you've noticed I'm a little cheeky. I'm a little cheeky <laughs> I like on my, it. Keep going. Because, you know, people in our field are so serious. Do you notice it's that? Very Psychologists can be so serious. Yes. And you're like, but the clients just want to laugh. Like the clients, all the client really wants is joy. <laughs> Not to be like over, over analyzed to the degree where you even feel worse about yourself. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, after a traumatic event, let's talk about that. How can that uh, positivity kind of go uh, toxic there? I think this is another place where we put so much pressure on people to like find meaning and be grateful and be positive. And, and we know that, yes, there is a lot of value in that. But I think this is all about the timing. When someone's gone through something very difficult, it's not helpful to say to them, well, everything happens for a reason. Just be grateful that this didn't happen, or at least it's not that. That really in that moment, I think what the person is hearing is like, wow, so you think it's good that I went through this or what could possibly be the reason, you know, that my child died or that my spouse got cancer? Like, it's hard to conceptualize that in that moment. Yeah, I completely agreed with that. Um, the, the a really big uh, domain in which you see this is in the domain of shame. Um, you see a lot of shame disguised as positivity, um, as you as you put it in, in your book. Can you kind of talk about uh, some examples of how that could play out? The biggest way that I see this playing out is a lot of times when people are using positivity with themselves, it just induces shame. So saying, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I need to be positive. I should be grateful. I have so much. I can't complain about this when they're in a state of distress to me just creates this gap of like, here's how I'm feeling. Here's how I think I should be feeling. And I can't get there 
So now I'm going to feel shameful about my emotional experience and beat myself up for it, which we know does not help. And it just mm. ends up isolating people even more. Yeah, yeah. You, you say point blank, say stop shaming yourself. Um, uh, this is actually, uh, if I had to pick like the favorite, favorite quote in your whole book, favorite sentence, it might be this one. Feeling depressed or anxious is hard. Pretending that you're not is much harder. I mean, that is quite profound, you know, because we make our job twice as hard by acting as though we're not. And also we lose potential opportunities for connection with others who are probably feeling similarly. And you'll never know if you don't tell them how you're feeling. Right. I think that's the biggest threat of toxic positivity is that when we use it against ourselves or other people, it's this feeling of like, I'm the only one that's going through this. No one understands me. And if I talk about this, I'm going to get shut down. So I'm going to miss out on any form of connection in this experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how can you make um, affirmations work for you? Because uh, do you think all affirmations are bad? Um, can they be used in a good way? You know, you remember the Stuart Smiley um, skit on Saturday Night Live? I don't know if it's You're good. awesome. <laughs> You're great. God darn it. People like me. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> I do not think all affirmations are bad in any way. But what I was really surprised by in, the, in a lot of the very limited research on affirmations is that they typically don't help for the people that need them um, who have depression or low self-esteem because they don't feel true. And so I think affirmations can work when they're backed up by action and they seem realistic. So more like I'm trying to love myself, I'm working on um, taking care of myself, whatever it is, instead of saying, I'm beautiful, I love myself, I'm perfect. Good, good. Um, so there's something can be salvaged from these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And then a big topic in the field of positive psychology is gratitude. Dun, 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 the G word. The G word. Um, so why can't you force gratitude? Like you mean you really can't? I mean you can't. These psychology experiments they literally are literally forcing the subjects, and then they they do pre and post test analysis, and they find statistically significant differences in those they forced versus <laughs> those they didn't. So are you saying the you challenge the statistics? I think that these studies are super limited, in my opinion, and only done on certain types of people. Um, and so what I was finding in a lot of the research on gratitude is that it can't really be generalized to the entire population. And well, you mean like white, white people? Yeah, it's like white women. <laughs> and there were like 40 of them white women, in the study. White middle-aged women. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so when I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, well, there's a reason why some people are not feeling these same effects. I've also found anecdotally in my own practice that people hate to be told to use these interventions. Like make a gratitude list. Yeah. I, I think a client's going to punch me in the face and tell them that because they've <laughs> heard it from so many therapists. Yeah. Oh man. I, I hear you. I hear you. And uh, I, I've written articles about uh, the importance for existential gratitude, which is just just be grateful that you're freaking alive and that you can breathe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like sometimes in your worst days, sometimes in your worst days, you know, there's just like a basic existential form of gratitude that can get you through the day. But I, I hear you. I totally hear you. Um, so how can you make gratitude work for you then? Uh, again, can we salvage just like we did the affirmations? Can we salvage 
Gratitude? Yes. Can we salvage it? Let's, let's save gratitude. So I think when people allow gratitude to come up naturally and organically throughout their day, and a lot more of that existential gratitude that you're speaking about versus like specific things or material items, it can be much more effective. So what I challenge people to do is like throughout your day, can you just organically recognize things of like, oh, it's really nice outside today. Or um, I really liked the meal that I had tonight, or I got to go to bed early, like just these little moments that you can cultivate a sense of gratitude in your life rather than trying to practice gratitude through exercises that are Good, good. Because you don't want a whole bunch of gratitude researchers to be out of business, you know, after, <laughs> after listening to your podcast. <laughs> so we, we don't want to, we don't want to. Gratitude is gratitude still gratitude valuable. Workers. Don't misinterpret yeah. me yeah. there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they might see as a threat, existential threat right. to their job. Um, okay. Well, how can I complain more effectively? Because you say complaining can give us an expansive view of our psyche. Oh, it's <laughs> a big oh, claim. We're, we're, where did that one come from, Whitney? Yes. What, did you just uh, did that come to you like three in the morning? Like you woke up right away? Probably. Oh, Whitney gave us an expansive view of her psyche. <laughs> That's pretty poetic. Poetic. Okay, can you explain to us what that means and how can I, you know, how can I complain more effectively? I think complaining really shows us what's important to us, what we need to work on, where we might need connection in our lives, and so if we try to get rid of it completely, we miss out on all that data. A lot of what people are doing in therapy is a form of complaining, right? And we're taking all that information and making sense of it. So if you want to complain more effectively, it's helpful to know exactly what you want to be complaining about. So what are the facts? What's the narrative? Then what do you want to happen? I feel like a lot of people get stuck here of like, do I just want to vent? Do I want there to be change? And then that's going to dictate who can make that happen or what needs to happen for this change to happen. And then you're able to pick the right person or place to go to, which we also end up making the wrong choice here sometimes. And that's when we get stuck in those complaint loops that feel never ending. Oh yeah, for sure. You say the goal is not to eliminate complaining from your life, but instead to make it more effective and adaptive. Mm -hmm. um, is this related at all to uh, healthy assertiveness? Uh, versus aggressive. So, you know, you know, there's like all these different kinds of assertiveness uh, that we learn in the field. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think you have to know what you're upset about, know what you want to complain about, and then engage in healthy assertiveness, right? To get your needs met. So whether it's that like your food is cold at a restaurant or whatever it is that you need to tell someone about so that they can fix it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds about right. Um, how can you support people? How can you support others in uh, in complaining effectively and in um, also giving polite advice to those who ha are toxic positivity uh, people and being like, you know, you may want to dial that down. <laughs> uh, you know, how do how can you do that? And, well, and in, in the spirit of support, not 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 being an asshole. Right. So it depends on the relationship. You know, I always tell people like. If somebody in the grocery store says to you, like your baby's crying and you're like, enjoy every minute, you might just want to say like, okay, thanks and move on. But if it's your, which happens to me all the time, but if it's like your mom or someone close to you, it's okay to say like, I really know that you're trying to help me. I can tell that you're trying to be helpful, but that doesn't really help me 
and tell them a way that they can be helpful to you instead, which is really unique for all of us across different situations. But I want people to feel empowered to share what is helpful to them and what isn't, because I think that's the only way people can learn how to be helpful to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very, very good point. Um, you have four ingredients that people could include in their communication, curiosity, understanding, validation, and empathy. Do you want to unpack those four for me? Sure. Yeah. So a lot of what happens when we use toxic positivity is we're just shutting the conversation down. So when you're able to get curious about the person's experience, ask them questions, but in a way to understand them more. So What's the hardest part for you? Um, what are you worried about? Then you're able to get to this place where it's like, okay, how can I have compassion or empathy for this person? How can I show them that I hear them through validation of like, that sounds hard. Um, I can see why you would be struggling with that. Those things make so much more of an impact than a platitude or a piece of advice. Good, good. Uh, this is hopefully helping a lot of people listening to this conversation. So yeah, this is great. Um, you often see um, uh, discrimination with a smile, right? And I thought that was an interesting phrase as well. And you talk about the ultimate gaslighting. What is the ultimate gaslighting? So I'll give an example. What I saw happening on social media when we were having a lot of conversations about race during the pandemic was all this toxic positivity that to me sounded like gaslighting. So um, a person of color would talk about their experience and then someone would say, gosh, can't we all just get along? I don't see color. Let's all just be nice to each other. And to me, it was this way of saying like a, a very nice, seemingly nice, positive way of saying, please don't talk about that anymore. Or I don't really believe your experience. And I think we do this to people in marginalized identities all the time. And it sounds nice, but really, it's really mean. It's terrible. Well, your point, your point, which uh, we, we can double click on here, is sometimes uh, discrimination can be disguised in the form of overt niceness, um, but in a way that, uh, that demeans or... Um, or denigrate someone's lived experience. Right, that ultimately yeah. shuts down the conversation. Yeah, yeah. You say removing toxic positivity from conversations about health, illness, and disability requires us to confront a lot of difficult realities. So in a way, sometimes it's, you think it's used as a Band-Aid, maybe, toxic positivity? For sure. I think when we're talking about anything related to health or mortality, people get uncomfortable. And so it's almost like I want to make you feel better. But I also really want to make myself feel better by saying everything happens for a reason or it's going to be fine because I don't want to live in a place where this bad thing is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Health and happiness are not a package deal. Who says they are? Do, are people saying they are? I think a lot of people think that if you are happy, if you have positive thoughts, you think positively health will be given to you um, and that it's sort of like they come together in some ways. But you, you don't think that's the case? I think there's a lot of people that are very positive who struggle with their health. I think there's a lot of people that are extremely negative and live to be a hundred. Like, I don't know that 
your mindset always dictates your physical health. Um, you know, just riffing on the idea of the impact of social media on this, uh, it may, it, you tend to see that correlation a lot, looking at others and social media can give you a, a skewed perception of reality, the extent to which they really go together in the real world, because people are just like showing themselves off, right? all the time in ways that are like, look, I'm happy and I'm healthy, you know, like, look at my body, you know, look at my yoga poses, you know, <laughs> do you, do you see that as um, really problematic? I think that our brains are bombarded with so much of this imagery that even though we know on a logical level, like this is 10% of that person's life, or it doesn't show the whole picture, it's, very easy to forget that when you are viewing constant images of people who appear healthy and happy, and that's what they're telling you and showing you. Yes, yes. Well, thanks for making that point. Um, so, okay, so for our remaining uh, time of this interview today, how can people opt out of the quest for happiness? Uh -oh. yeah. So, I think living a values driven life, which a lot of people talk about this, is really the most important thing. And when you're living in alignment with your values and what's important to you, you're able to accept that you're not always going to feel happy or positive emotions, but you're going to feel like your life has meaning and like you're doing the things that are important to you. I, I think the best example of this is like when it comes to parenting, that your kids and parenthood might be one of the most important things to you, but it's not always the thing that makes you the happiest, or it can be very frustrating sometimes, but it is often an important value for people. Yeah, the value-driven life versus the happiness-driven life. The value-driven life is one that is, uh, would you associate that with more with meaning than happiness? For sure. More with meaning, um, with really just knowing what's important to you. And I think what is important changes throughout our lifetime of course, you know, depending on how old you are and what stage of life you're in, that you can curate those values to like, this is what is important to me right now. And it's okay if that changes later. And it's more about what you believe versus these like happiness scripts that were given from society of like, these are the things you need to do to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also a uh, psychologist have identified uh, another pathway, the psychologically rich life. Mm -hmm. um, which is one that's, uh, I mean, does everything have to be so value driven? That sounds so serious. <laughs> like, can't you sometimes just like jump out of an airplane and just have fun? Uh, and that's not necessarily even, I'm talking, I'm not talking about hedonia. I'm saying just in engaging in rich, complex, um, uh, interesting experiences that get you out of your comfort zone just for the sake of, of that, you know? Right. I, I would say that could even be a value. Like, to okay. say that okay. spontaneity, fun, um, excitement, like is something that you really, it's an important part of your life and it's something you want to have access to. I think, you know, I have dark side Sundays, right? And so I like one day of the week where I'd be like, I'll do everything. I don't give a shit if it's part of my value system. <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> okay. So one of the worst things about toxic positivity is that when used in the wrong moments, it denies what we're feeling and makes us feel worse. So it is a feedback loop, right? It's a, uh, it's a part of a cycle. It can spiral. It's interesting. Toxic positive, it can spiral downwards. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely this cycle that we can get stuck in that I think goes back again to that feeling of like, 
there's something wrong with me because I am a human mm-hmm. being who has feelings and I need to get rid of those feelings. And I think we see a lot of that on social media now. We really do. We really do. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, kudos to people like you who are uh, pointing this out on social media and giving an alternative perspective. I mean, do you ever just scroll through the timelines and Instagram? You're, I can imagine, I can see your eyes are just rolling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know that this world really like existed on Instagram until I got on um, to market my own practice. And then I was like, wow, there's a lot of really interesting stuff out there. <laughs> I feel like you were really, yeah, there really are. But humans are, endlessly fascinating and I, I feel like you also just learn a lot about what humans value in general um by by scrolling through these things i mean you you know all these like what do you think of all these inspirational videos you know like one after another another with the cheesy music in the background with the like you know like and then bobby overcame not having a, any eyeballs you know yeah. and uh, was able to uh, uh have x-ray vision you know and then it's like you're so inspired right you're like mm-hmm. wow that's so do you, do you think that ever goes too far, those inspirational videos? I, you know, I think this goes back to like a little bit of what I talk in the book about, like if the person is disabled or there's something, you know, in their life that it kind of makes this pressure of like, everything has to come to this positive ending. Like everything has to be inspirational or great in some way, because those are the only stories that we hear on social media that, you know, we don't, we don't hear about the person that didn't have a good ending they're not getting the video what a great point i think we we really should have more videos of people just being like hey everyone look i'm really not having a good day today like today kind of sucks and i just wanted to let you all know that uh and uh my heart goes out to all those who are suffering from the same thing maybe right. i'll do that that's a good Wendy, idea that's a good idea oh my god that might go viral. As, I'm <laughs> my, as i'm hearing myself talk i'm like there's viral potential there, there is there is you're on to something I'm on with something. You say, and this is you, I'm quoting you, you say, it's okay to just be. You know, wow, I wish I knew that uh, before today. <laughs> I <laughs> would have saved me a lot of pain and suffering in my right? life. Well, now I'm noticing this thing on social media that I definitely have participated in and perpetuated that there's always something to fix, always something to obsess over, that I feel like people now are just becoming obsessed with fixing themselves. And yes, like we all need to do our own work and get to this place. But I want everyone to know that also you're supposed to live and like enjoy life and not be, you know, just always looking for the next trauma or attachment style or this, that like, it can be just a lot. Yeah, a lot. Sometimes it's, yeah, it's good to just like, just dial it all down and just, just exist. Yeah. 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 I totally hear you. Um, so, um, we'd, we'd be remiss not to mention Gabrielle Olingen's research, um, because sometimes a little positive fantasy does help, yes. you know, don't tell me to like eradicate all positive fantasies from my head, please. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, also my advisor in grad school, uh, Jerome L. Singer, um, studied positive, constructive daydreaming, you know? So, so in what ways can, uh, can that, can that be helpful? that type of like positive fantasy can help you get from like moment to moment. So they've shown like people that are in wartime or in prison or things like that, fantasizing about what's next, what could be, can really help you weather the storm of that moment of something very difficult. 
even though, so talk more about Gabrielle Algen's research. She found that sometimes, though, fantasies can uh, deplete you from wanting to actually act, make it a reality, right, in the real world. So right. it could be a double-edged sword. Well, she yeah. t they talk about, like, how a lot of these positive fantasies don't allow you to look out for obstacles or to create a plan, right? You're just focusing on, like, how great it's going to be when all of this happens. And so it's like that, the whoop technique um, that Dr. Amgen talks yeah. about is really getting in touch with, you know, what is your wish? What do you want the outcome to be? What problems could come up? Um, what opportunities do you have? And getting a full picture of like the attack instead of just having this positive fantasy about it. Yeah. 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 So you're, you're, you're in no way advocating today that we need to eradicate positivity from uh, our language and our dreams and desires no. you're not like you know like satan <laughs> no. no i'm sure some real positive people maybe have accused me of that from time to time Aww. but i think positivity has a time a place a purpose i just think we've become so obsessed with it to a degree that it's starting to hurt us more than help us i hear you I'm uh, going to end with some quotes from you. Not all positivity, happiness, or good vibes are bad. Remember to look out for the timing, audience, and topic that you're discussing. This is the best way to identify if something is toxic positivity. That's basically what you just said. And then I want to end with this note. When we opt out of the predetermined path toward happiness, we gain access to so much more. You'll get to feel all of it. Joy and pain, comfort and discomfort, growth and stagnation. You'll be able to ride the waves of life and know that there isn't this final happiness destination. This is it. This is what we've got. And all the feelings, ups and downs, changes, and chaos certainly make the ride much more interesting. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast today and making my life more interesting today by having this chat. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Psychology Podcast. If you'd like to react in some way to something you heard, I encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com or on our YouTube page, The Psychology Podcast. We also put up some videos of some episodes on our YouTube page as well, so you'll want to check that out. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the show, and tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.